by the mystery of thy holy incarnation, by thy holy nativity and submission to the law, by thy baptism, fasting, and temptation, good Lord, deliver us. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. It isn't very often that Ash Wednesday and St. Valentine's Day take place on the same day. In fact, the last time it happened in the Western Church, it was 1945, 73 years ago. And many of us had seen this convergence coming, but nobody could see the way it was going to come. Perhaps you saw the picture that showed up in many news services of the woman weeping, standing with her arms around another mother with a Valentine's Day pendant around her neck and an Ash Wednesday cross of ashes on her forehead. I saw that and I just broke down. No more could there be, could, there could not be a more poignant invitation to a season of Lent, of repentance, of reconnecting with the point of baptism, fasting, and looking at the horror of temptation than the events of this week and the opportunities it presents for us to go deep into ourselves and to reflect on just what's going on in our world, in our society, and just why it was so important that Jesus came the way he did. I want to reflect a few moments today on the line from the great litany that we prayed on the way in, which came to us, by the way, in 1544. It was Thomas Cranmer's first gift of liturgical reform in the English, in the, in the English church, and it's altogether fitting that we, that we share that litany together on the first day of Lent. You will find it, again, on page 148 when you get a chance during this Lenten season to go, to go deep into the point of Lent. But let me pick up on the one phrase. By thy baptism, fasting, and temptation, good Lord, deliver us. Lent unites us with the baptized Christ who underwent the inundating baptism of death and resurrection. Lent unites us with the fasting Christ who underwent the deprivation of the desert where he said no to daily sustenance and no to human fellowship for a season where he knew only the fellowship of beasts and angels. And oh, but we're told of one other voice in the wilderness. For Lent unites us with the tempted Christ who heard the whispers of Satan, the accuser, the devil, the great divider. So first, by thy baptism, what follows? Good Lord, deliver us. And you're allowed to say that. 
by thy baptism. In his submission to the drowning waters of baptism, Jesus begins the journey to what Paul calls becoming sin for us or becoming cursed for us. Bearing our sins and taking the full hurricane of God's righteous judgment of our sins into himself. In the book of Leviticus, chapter 16, on the Day of Atonement, we're told that the priest is to take the blood of a bull that had been slaughtered and symbolically drown the presence of God by sprinkling it with blood and symbolically drowning the people of God by sprinkling them with the blood of the bull. On Calvary, Jesus will go on to stand in the gap between God and his people and with his arms outstretched in love, drown the wrath of judgment in his love. The Apostle Peter in today's reading invites you and me to take our place in that baptismal drowning. Peter says, Christ suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. Baptism now saves you, not as removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Anyone in the room has not been baptized, not come into that saving relationship of faith, now's the time. Let's get that taken care of so that your Easter can be amazing and our Easter with you can be amazing. By thy baptism, by thy baptism, thank you, choir. By thy fasting, By thy fasting, good Lord, deliver us. Also on the Day of Atonement, the priest would take a goat that had been set aside for this purpose, and he would symbolically place the sins of all the people onto that goat, and that goat would then be banished into the wilderness, theoretically there to die, separated away from God and his people, bearing our sins away. In his 40 days of abstinence from sustenance and human fellowship, Jesus dies a symbolic death, training his appetite so that his bread would be to do the will of God. 40 days is a long time, and in 40 days your appetites are going to be changed. He wanted as our sin bearer for his nourishment and his food to be the will of his father. And he wanted in the silence of the wilderness to hear beyond the voice of the tempter, the one voice that counts, his father's. A couple of weeks ago, I reminded you of the great line from Augustine's Confessions. You have made us for yourself so that our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Our hearts long for, well, what? Well, our hearts long, and they lead our lives. As Thomas Cramner went on further to say, 
at the beginning of the English Reformation. What the heart wants, the mind justifies, and the will chooses. Or to paraphrase, what the heart loves, the mind dwells on, and the will goes after. Lent brings an invitation to join Jesus in the wilderness and get an appetite adjustment to let our affections, to let our heart be redirected. What would be good for your soul to fast from? Chocolate? Uh, Josh Bales is afraid that the Lord might tell him coffee. (laughs) CNN? Fox? Shopping channels? Home renovation shows, online gaming, online places you never should have been at in the first place. I don't know. But it's worth spending some time thinking and praying about. So, by thy baptism... It's like the 8 o'clock congregation here. <laughs> by thy baptism. Good Lord, by thy fasting. Good Lord, and by thy temptation. Good Matthew and Luke go into more detail. But what does Jesus undergo in the wilderness? He undergoes the temptation to use his powers to treat the mere symptoms instead of the deepest causes, physical hunger instead of separation from the source of life itself. The temptation to sell his soul for the false promise of earthly reward. The temptation to use religion to force God's will to his rather than to submit his will to God's. Of the Garden of Gethsemane, C.S. Lewis once famously quipped something like, how horrible it would have been had the Father rather than the Son said, not my will, but thine. What are temptations that you and I are called to face? May I suggest in the first place, the temptation to think that there's any other way to a relationship with the living God than through the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. Friends, there's no stairway to heaven that you and I can build, much less climb. To think so would be to make a mockery of the incarnation, the fact that God in the person of His Son had to come down to rescue you and me. Also, as beautiful a people as you are, and as good a people as you are, and as much as I love you, there's no hoping that God will look at your life or mine and see good outweighing bad and give you a pass. Give me a pass. Give any of us a pass. To think so would make a mockery of the bloody mess that the cross was and is. A temptation that he would ask you and me to 
turn away from is to think that you can do this on your own. You can't. Just about a month ago, Mike, Michael Mickey was in this pulpit, and he said something like, don't take vacation from church. Be here. And he said, I recognize I'm preaching to the choir because you're here. But sometimes it seems like families like trade off and say, look, I'll take a break from church this week. Next week, it's your week to take a break off from break from church. And, you know, chill. Well, I'm sorry. That is not good for you. The writer to the Hebrews says, do not forsake the assembling of the saints, but stimulate one another to love and to good works. What Mike Mickey said was, that golf ball or that soccer ball or something like that New York Times with a cup of coffee along the side in your recliner on Sunday morning, they're not going to bring you comfort when it's time for you to die. When it's time for you to die, you're going to need to have been here a lot for it to work its way into your heart. We're going to be sending lay Eucharistic visitors at the end of this service out to people who can't be here. We don't send, we don't send the bread and the wine to people who don't want to be here. Every person who asks us to bring them the bread and the wine would far rather be here. One day, that may be you. That may be me. Fill your imagination with the presence of one another and this place and the word proclaimed and the prayers prayed and the bread and the wine served. The temptation to think that you, that there's any other way to a relationship with God than through Jesus. The temptation to think that you can do this on your own. And then in our day, there's the temptation to think that you don't matter. You do matter. When Jesus returned from the wilderness, he came preaching repentance. He calls you and me to do the same. The Greek word for repentance is change the mind. Now, the Hebrew was more picturesque. It was simply turn. But the Greek idea into which Jesus' teachings were immediately translated and in which all New Testament writers wrote. The Greek idea locates the turn in the mind. Change your way of thinking and you will turn your life around. The temptation is to think your voice in calling for change in the way people think is pointless. The temptation is to think that there are simple answers to the world's problems as though it were, for instance, thoughts and prayers versus policy and change, or the freedom to carry versus protection for the least of these. We need to be people with creative imaginations, calling people to change their minds about silly alternatives and to think deeply about how to love God and to love our neighbors. So, three subpoints here. Your voice, our voice, in prayer is profoundly important. I remind you of what we prayed today. Pray it over and over. Let me excerpt some portions of the litany. 
from all oppression, conspiracy, and rebellion, from violence, battle, and murder, and from dying suddenly and unprepared. Good Lord, deliver us by the mystery of thy holy incarnation, by thy holy nativity and submission to the law, by thy baptism, fasting, and temptation. Good Lord, deliver us that it may please thee to give us a heart of love and fear thee, a heart to love and fear thee, and diligently to live after thy commands. Now the terms are a little different. We beseech thee to hear us, good Lord. Please. We beseech thee to hear us, good Lord, that it may please thee so to rule the hearts of thy servants, the president of this nation, and all others in authority, not that they may follow our agenda, but they may follow yours, sorry for the insert, that they may do justice and love mercy and walk in the ways of truth. We beseech thee to hear us, good Lord, and that it may please thee to strengthen such as do stand, to comfort and help the weak-hearted, to raise up those who fall, and finally, to beat down Satan under our feet. We beseech thee to hear us, good Lord. Those are not empty words. It's not an empty prayer. Pray it. Secondly, your voice in the public square counts It matters. It behooves you and me as lovers of God and lovers of our neighbor to think deeply about what will serve the common good and will serve the good of people who make bad decisions. I do not ever want to use the pulpit to offer bromides or overly simple solutions to really complex problems. There's so many things that could be spoken to, but please hear this. Before turning someone loose in a ton of potentially lethal steel, we require driver's education. We mandate the use of seatbelts, and we set and enforce speed limits. One only has to go through our state-mandated training for a concealed weapon permit, which I may or may not have done. And one only has to spend a little bit of time on a gun range, which I may or may not have done, to look around and get the queasy feeling that it's just way too simple. To call upon legislators to re-examine the standards for gun ownership. Who should be able to own what? And what kind of safety and tactical training should come with any firearm is only, I would argue, prudent and not necessarily a step towards totalitarianism. Your voice in prayer counts. Your voice in the public square counts. And third, your voice in the lives of the lost, the lonely, the broken, and the wrathful are the most important thing that you have to offer these days. To borrow the title of David Thomas Murphy's book about the 1824 Fall Creek Massacre out west, 
Sometimes, in some cases, there is simply murder in their hearts. And the only one who can put an end to murderous hearts is the Lord Jesus Christ, the conqueror of hearts. We've seen, we've seen murder in their hearts from Columbine to Stoneman Douglas, from Orlando's Pulse to Las Vegas's Mandalay Bay Hotel, from Charleston to Sutherland Springs. And if the church has anything to say, it is that ultimately the only answer to the violence that lies in such human hearts and indeed which lies in the heart of each and every one of us lies in the story that you and I have to tell about Jesus who came, who died, who is risen, and will come again. Brothers and sisters, so that whenever Ash Wednesday and, and Valentine's Day come together again, maybe another 73 years, that the next time we see the convergence of Valentine's Day and Ash Wednesday, we might see the pendant of love and the cross of ashes minus the tears of a mother's bereavement. Let us be willing and let us be courageous to tell our hearts and to tell the hearts of everybody around us of the love of God who in the words that we are going to pray in just a few minutes at the table, made us for himself and who when we had fallen into sin and become subject to evil and death, he in his mercy sent Jesus Christ, his only and eternal son, to share our human nature, to live and die as one of us, to reconcile us, to God, the Father of all. He stretched out his arms upon the cross and offered himself in obedience to his Father's will, a perfect sacrifice for the whole world. And friend, please insert your name. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.